Well, good morning, church. Uh, happy Easter to you this morning. Uh, all around the world, there are empty churches, uh, but guess what? The tomb is also empty this morning. Uh, you're at the right place at the right time to hear the gospel proclaimed this morning. I imagine it's going to be an interesting morning as you listen to this. Uh, we expect a lot of bad weather to be coming in on Sunday. We actually record this on Saturday ahead of time. Um, so, so be safe. And uh, Jesus has left the tomb. Uh, stay in your home. Uh, as we start our service today, I want to invite you to join me uh, in our responsive call to worship. We're going to say together the Apostles' Creed. It's, it's one of the things we do as a community here to affirm our faith. Uh, join me in that. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Good morning, Lakeside. Things certainly, they change. What does not change is our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what does not change is he is alive, which means we are eternally secure in him. Um, the prophet Ezekiel writes, The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Let's pray together. Our good and gracious Lord, the God who speaks light into darkness and life out of death. You ask what we dare not. Can these bones live? And like the prophet, we can only hope. O oh Lord God, you know. And as those before us have rejoiced, in your promise you, that you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. We rejoice that Christ is risen and we have come to know and believe the love which you have for us. We are overwhelmed by the love of the incarnation, the sinless life, the cross, and the glorious resurrection. Father, grace us to see and fully enter into the blessing and duty of your kingdom. We confess that we are dismayed when we look to ourselves. The love of the flesh and the things of this passing world seem most precious. By your Spirit, help us to say more and more no 
to the idol factory that is our heart. And yes, to the prayer of your son in his own anguish, not my will, but yours. Father, as we have been raised with Christ and will be raised with him in the resurrection from the dead, help us to consider our old life dead and our new life alive to righteousness. Form Christ in us. Make us constant in the truth of your word, even as your servant Moses, who considered the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he saw something better. Strengthen us for our battles. Give us courage for our trials. Make us discerning in our temptations. Grant us the gift of repentance in our sins. And this day, make us joyful and savingly content in what the Lord has done. Christ alive, death is defeated, we are saved. Let us rejoice and be glad, praying always, as Jesus has instructed us, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Church, the prophet Isaiah said, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen among you. Amen. I think we say it uh, every a week we've been meeting together digitally, but it's so strange to be apart, and uh, especially on Easter, a very important day for us, and I said in the opening, I'll say it again, uh, churches may be empty, but it's okay because Jesus still got out of the tomb, and he still is resurrected. Church, uh, he has risen. He has risen indeed. In 1965, George Stevens directed the American movie classic entitled The Greatest Story Ever Told. Many of you are familiar with this. It stars Claude Rains, and it's, it's a kind of a biblical account of the, the retelling of the story of Jesus of Nazareth. And according to its title, those involved in making this movie believed that the story of Jesus of Nazareth was the greatest story ever told in the history of mankind, period. It's a bold claim, isn't it? That the story of Jesus would be the greatest story ever told. After all, there's, there's a lot of great stories out there. Uh, uh, the human imagination has spun some wonderful tales of kings and champions and kingdoms and supernatural beings. But what makes a story truly great? Ever thought about that question? What makes a story truly great? What makes people fall in love with stories like The Lord of the Rings or, or The Catcher in the Rye or Hamlet? What makes animated film companies like Pixar thrive at storytelling in a way that tugs at our heartstrings using nothing more than, than, than pictures and, and animation? Well, I want to suggest to you that the people at Pixar really understand storytelling and they understand the way that good stories are structured. Today I want to look at, with you at what makes a story great. Derek Thompson works for Pixar. Uh, he has a pretty cool job. His job title at Pixar is 
story artist. That's a great title, isn't it? That you're a story artist. There's an art form to telling stories. Anyways, he gets to spend his days practicing the art of storytelling. And he, he recently taught an online class through the online platform Khan Academy. Uh, and in this class, he says that, that, that no matter what story Pixar is writing, they use the same kind of logical outline to map it out. And it's a story outline they use called a story spine. And it's a way of understanding the main ideas uh, that, that can be found in every story. Um, and, and what I want to do today is I want to understand what a story spine is and how it helps us to understand many ideas and stories. And I want to see if we can use the story outline called the story spine to examine the story of Jesus and Easter so that we can kind of get a grasp of why millions of people would say, that the story of Easter and Jesus is the greatest story ever told. I think it'll be a lot of fun. I think it'll be good for your soul to take a deep look at the Easter story. So real quick before we uh, examine the Easter story, let's, let's look together how Pixar Films kind of develops their storylines when they work together to do this. Um, you can take any story that you like and you can summarize its plot using a story spine. Like I told you, I was on the Khan Academy website, which is a, it's an educational, a free educational platform for, for all kinds of education. And, and there was a class on understanding stories and using story spines. And I could tell that, that it had been used a lot by teachers who had sent their students there to learn how to, how to write story spines. And that in the comments section below, you had, uh, you had students mapping out, using the story spine method, uh, the plots of their favorite movies. And I, I could tell that these were probably middle school students. They had basically because of their grammar, because of the choices of movies they had. Uh, you know, one, one kid would, would map out the, the plot to, to Black Panther, and then the next kid would map out the plot to Harry Potter. And then the next kid, which is probably a lot like me, said, none of the shows I've ever seen work like this. And, and then the teacher had to kind of write in the comments below them, listen, every story ever written works like this. You're just kind of not trying. And so I want to look at a blank story spine together, if we can put that slide up. A story spine is a collection of eight prompts. And what you do uh, to go through them with a story is you just complete the sentences. Then the first prompt that you get is, is once upon a time. And don't all great stories begin like that? We, we set the stage for our story. We introduce our characters and the land that they live in. And the second prompt is, uh, is, is uh, every day, where we examine the everyday lives of our characters. The next prompt is until one day. And, and, the, and the one day is when everything changes because something transcendent happens. And then after that, we get a series that look very much the same. Because of that, because of the, that transcendent thing that happened on the until one day, uh, because of that, something happens. And because of that, something happens. And because of that, something happens. And there's a pattern in which the, 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 the whole story is moving until you get to until finally. Something transcendent happens, and ever since then, there is a, there's a new reality. And I, and I think maybe the best way to show you how this works is to actually outline a story a lot of us know. Uh, let's outline, since we've been talking about Pixar, the story of Finding Nemo. Uh, I think uh, a lot of you have seen it, and if you haven't seen it, it's okay. I think you'll still get the main idea of, of how it works here. The, the story of Finding Nemo starts like this. It starts... Once upon a time, there was a fish named Marlin who loved his son Nemo more than 
anything. Uh, that's how the story begins. We meet Marlon and his son Nemo. And we get a sense of the father's love. And the second part of the story spine goes like this. And every day, it's an opportunity for the storyteller to, to show what life is like for the characters. What challenges do they have? How do they fill their time? And so for the movie Finding Nemo, we might say, and every day, Marlon tried to protect Nemo from the ocean, which he feared. That's kind of, that was the life they lived every day. Is Marlon was always trying to protect Nemo. We begin to see that Marlon is a fish with great fears, and that's maybe led him to, to be a little bit of an overprotective parent with his son Nemo. The next sentence prompt in the story spine goes like this, until one day. This is where we get into our action. Something's going to happen to change the lives of our main characters. In Finding Nemo, the, the, uh, the action that happens in, in, in the, until one day is Nemo was taken by a scuba diver. You remember this? He, he ends up going and they put him in the, in the dentist fish tank. Marlin's worst fears are recognized. Be the same again for Marlin taken from him. And, uh, and nothing would ever be the same again for Marlin. Uh, the next three prompts in the story line, they're all the same, and they're this. Because of that, right? So because of what happened in our last prompt, in other words, because Nemo was captured, this is what must happen now. Because of that, Marlin had to leave the safety of his home reef in order to find his son. And as we move on from there, the next prompt is the same again. And because of that, because Marlon left the safety of his home reef, Marlon ran into sharks, he ran into jellyfish, and he ran into other dangers. And again, we, we have that same prompt. And because of that, because of the sharks, the jellyfish, and the dangers, Marlon was forced to take a leap of faith. The next prompt is, until finally... Now, the until finally is usually, it's usually the best part of any story. The until finally is. Finally, something's going to happen to bring resolution. And in the story of Finding Nemo, the until finally happens when Marlon learns to let go of his fears and to trust that his son Nemo has what it takes to free their friend Dory from the fishing net. That's, that's kind of the story uh, there. That's when, that's when everything changes. And the last prompt in a story spine is... And ever since then, right, it's, it's almost the, and they live happily ever after prompt. This prompt describes the new reality after the story. And in Finding Nemo, this new reality might be, and ever since then, uh, Marlon gave his son Nemo the space he needed to learn on his own. And, you know, one of the great advantages to mapping out stories like this is it really lets you find and understand the moral of the story. And the moral of Finding Nemo according to the story artist at Pixar, is this. Parents need to let go in order for their kids to grow up. Now, that's not pastoral advice, and it's, it's not biblical wisdom necessarily. That's just simply Pixar morality. But you can see how the story of Finding Nemo unfolds, and you can track down the action, the struggles, and the victories really well when you break it down using this story spy method. Now, now, thanks for being patient with me as I introduce this topic. I know that what you came here for today was not to hear about Pixar films. I know you came for a different story this morning. For today is a special day for Christians. Today's the day in which we celebrate the until finally of God's great story. Do you catch what I'm, what I'm saying there? 
The resurrection of Jesus is the greatest until finally the world has ever known. Let's try using the same outline technique to look at the great story of Easter. Once upon a time. How would you, if you had to do this, start the story of God? How would you start the story of God if you had to start once upon a time? How about in the beginning, God created man in his own image, both male and female? Genesis 2.15, and the Lord took man and he put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. I, I believe this is the once upon a time of the Bible. Adam and Eve before God in the garden. And, and let's say it like this. Once upon a time, God created Adam and Eve and they lived before him in a peaceful garden. And, and what would their everyday reality look like? Because that's the next part of the story spine. And every day, remember that? Let's look at, at Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. So the way that we might fill in our prop for every day if we're looking at God's story is to say, every day Adam and Eve lived in paradise and enjoyed everything God had created except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This was their everyday life. This is what reality was until one day, right? And, and I think those of you who have a biblical background know what the until one day was. And uh, the until one day was the serpent showed up and the serpent began to tempt Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. That is the one thing that God had instructed them not to do and this results in what we call in theological terms original sin. It was the first time anyone had disobeyed God. Now we get into that part of the story spine where we have a, a few sentences that start out with the phrase, because of that. Uh, because Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, really, because that was the until one day, and because they ate the forbidden fruit, something unfortunate happens to both Adam and Eve, and unfortunately it happens to all of us as well, it happens to you, and it happens to me also. Because Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve were stained with sin. And since Adam and Eve are the root of all mankind, their sin and guilt is, is passed down to all their descendants, all the people in the land from now until the end of time. All of humanity now is stained with sin. So in short, everyone in the world was affected by the fall. And that, that's a really important part of the story because you're never going to really get the full triumph of Easter unless you know the danger and death that you were, the situation you were in under the fall. You and I, um, we're not sinners because we sin. Uh, it, it's quite the opposite. It's true. We sin because we are sinners. It's our nature to sin. It's just kind of who we are. King David wrote in Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So once again, to summarize, because Adam and Eve ate the forbidden fruit, because of that, you and I and everyone who comes before us or comes after us is left with a sin nature. Now let's move on with God's great story and this outline we're trying to do. Now because all of humanity has this sin nature, right? Because of that, all of humanity is separated from their loving God. 
Adam and Eve were, were kicked out of the garden. You can actually see there's a physical separation there. Their descendants were prone to, to violence and wickedness. And, and the world was, was prone to be a place of great injustice, darkness, and sin. That's the result of the fall. That's the result of your sin and mine. All of humanity is guilty of sin, and the wage of sin is death. And the way that we might say that the most clearly, if we were going to put this in our outline, is to say this, that because of the fall, because of that, sin separated all of humanity from God, and death reigned. And because of that, which is our next slide, God the Father sent his only son, Jesus, into the world to defeat sin by his own death. One of the great and beautiful pieces of God's story is that God loves his people so much that he keeps pursuing them. He won't let them go even when sin and death threaten. The story of God is a story of one great act of love after another. Because of sin and death, God sends Jesus to rescue his people. And Jesus must die. You know why Jesus has to die? Because the wage of sin is death. And the only way a just God can satisfy the guilt of you and the guilt of me, all of our guilts, the guilt of humanity, is by the atoning death of an unblemished Savior. Jesus lived the life that, that you and I couldn't live. That's why we call him the unblemished lamb, because he was sinless. And then he died a death that he didn't deserve, that we deserved. He died the death that we should have died. A couple of days ago, we, we celebrated Good Friday. Um, unfortunately, we weren't together to celebrate that like we normally do. Good Friday is the day in which we remember the violent death of Jesus. And, and what's, what's tough about that is, is that his death is because of our disobedience and our sin. God's people who he loved were destined for eternal death and for eternal judgment, but for God's grace. The prophet Isaiah describes the cross like this. Surely he's borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. It's by the wounds of Jesus, it's by the death of Jesus and his resurrection that we are healed. And the most ironic name of any holiday that we have might just be Good Friday. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I understand why it's good for you. I understand why it's good for me, why the cross is good for both of us. It's just that it's the most heartbreaking part of the story. And it's hard sometimes for me to call that part of the story good, even though it's beneficial for me, even though it's my only hope in this life and the one to come. It's hard, especially for those people who really love Jesus, those who have fallen in love with Jesus for the way that he wept with Lazarus, for the way that he allowed the children to come to him, for the way that he was concerned with the hunger of the crowds, for his genuine humility and for his love and goodness and his purity. For us, for, for those of us who love Jesus, it's heartbreaking that Jesus had to die. But what's even worse, what makes it so, so tragic is that while we, you and I might not have driven the nails into Jesus' hands, because you and I are both sinners, because of that, Jesus had to die, and you and I are, are complicit 
We are in no way responsible for Jesus' death. And in God's story, it feels like our hearts are ripped out of our chest on Good Friday when Jesus has to die. And Nicodemus joins him and they takes Jesus' lifeless body. And Nicodemus joins him and they, they wrap Jesus in burial cloths and they, they take him and they place him in the tomb and the sun goes down. And there's a great sense of sorrow and hopelessness on Good Friday. But Easter is the best part of God's story. Uh, the outline calls this part of a story the until finally, right? The until finally. The until finally in God's story can be read in Luke chapter 24. And, and so that's, I really want us to read the resurrection account together right now. So, so join me as I read that. But on the first day of the week, at, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. But they, when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their heads to the ground, these men said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. These seven words are the most glorious words ever uttered in all of creation. He is not here. He is risen. Man, that is good news. That's the greatest until finally that the world has ever known. Finally, the tomb is empty. Finally, death is defeated. If we were filling out our, our outline, that's what we would write. Finally, the tomb is empty and death is defeated. There could never be another story in anyone's imagination that could compare to the Easter story because no other story in all of creation testifies that you yourself were once lost and you yourself were once hopeless, sentenced to death for your sin until finally a Savior came and died in your place until finally Jesus defeated the death and grave. Praise be to Jesus. The next part of the sentence or the, the story outline is this, that ever since then, that kind of the, the happily ever after part, ever since the resurrection, those who put their faith in Jesus as Lord have been forgiven of their sins. That's the gospel message. That's a great place to live on Easter. Those who put their faith in Jesus have been adopted into the family of God and their inheritance is the merit of, of Christ, it's eternal life. And let me say it again, and this is, if we were filling out our outline, we, we put it up like this. Ever since then, those who put their faith in Jesus as Lord have their sins forgiven, are adopted in the family of God, and inherit eternal life. That is good news. And so, yes, uh, I, like so many million others, believe that this story is the greatest story that has ever been told. Uh, so let's stop just for a second, and it's a little bit redundant, but let's put the slide up of the whole story of God's story. And let's just look at it together again, filled out. Once upon a time, God created Adam and Eve, and they lived before him in a peaceful garden. 
Every day Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve lived in paradise and enjoyed everything God had created except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil until one day Adam and Eve sinned before the Lord by eating the forbidden fruit. And because of that, all of humanity is stained with sin. And because of that, sin separated all of humanity from God and death reigned. And because of that, God the Father sent Jesus into the world to defeat sin by his own death until finally the tomb is empty and death is defeated. And ever since then, those who put their faith in Jesus as Lord have their sins forgiven, are adopted into the family of God, and inherit eternal life. Tell me that is not the greatest story that has ever been told. But here's, church, let me, let me just say this. Here's the moral of the story of God. The moral of God's story is this. The only way to peace with God for anyone, at, anywhere, ever, is by grace, only by his grace, through the faith in Jesus Christ. There's no other religion. There's no other behavior, no righteous living, no karma or spirituality that's going to make up for your sin nature and the death that you deserved. Only through grace, only through the grace of God and through your faith in Jesus will you find forgiveness for your sins. That is the moral of the great story of God. Easter is a great day to preach the good news of the gospel. Uh, Easter is a great day to preach a very simple message and a very simple gospel presentation and, and to remember the empty tomb. And Pixar, Pixar is really good at telling stories, but no story beats God's story. And it's more than a story, really. It's truth and it's reality Adam and Eve really walked in the garden and they really fell into sin. And, and that sin really stained you with a sin nature. And, and Christ really came to die for you because your sin nature separated you from God. It, so listen, I pray that today, if you have never done so before, that you will put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord. So I have a few questions for you. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe that the tomb was empty? Do you believe that Jesus reigns and rules with his Father in heaven? If you do, this is a saving faith in Jesus. And you know these things because the Spirit has enabled you to know them and you are greatly favored by a loving God. Let's pray together. Father, we do uh, today come and we celebrate the great until finally will we, we hear about the empty tomb. Jesus is not dead. He is alive forevermore. God, our Father, praise be to your Son, Christ Jesus, and to you, our Creator. Uh, Father, I pray that this morning as we go uh, and we live in our communities, uh, we would understand what it means uh, to be the hands and feet of Christ into a world that really needs it, uh, that's in, in the midst of, of fear and sickness and storms. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, church, uh, by the time you're listening to this, it's going to be Sunday. I'm recording it on Saturday. Uh, and, and today we're supposed to have a lot of bad weather, a lot of tornadoes and hail. Uh, so stay safe. Um, we have been the church gathered. Go now and be the church scattered. And as you do, take with you the love of God. 
the grace of Christ Jesus' Son, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit until we meet again. Amen.